Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Friday Roundtable Show. This is episode 282, and it's on the 6th of April, 2018. And it's my birthday, folks. Hey, I made it for another year. I haven't died. That's yes. That's, 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 <laughs> once you get to be older, having a birthday is an achievement. It is. It is. I mean, I don't know why people are so damn proud of being young. It's not like that requires any effort. <laughs> Yeah, well, there we go. There we go. Um, before um, we go into our stories, I'm going to let our our panelists introduce themselves. And we've got a guest, a guest that's looking worried there. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah. So my name is Patrick Rollins. I do lots of cool stuff with WooCommerce. Recently, uh, I was on the podcast. We talked about uh, doing some WooCommerce webinars for iThemes. I also have a book about WooCommerce. I helped run WooConf last year. I do all the things WooCommerce. Uh, and that's me. Yeah, pa- um, Patrick's, I think Patrick's a friend of the podcast. He does great stuff. Does a great guy and just really much more brainier than me. There we go. <laughs> uh, um, so, John, um, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure thing. My name's John Locke, uh, and I do SEO for manufacturing firms. All right. And Sally, would you like to introduce yourself? Certainly. I'm Sally Getch, the WP fangirl. I build custom Genesis sites for growing businesses and nonprofits. And I'm the organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, California. And Chris, would you quickly like to introduce yourself? <coughs> I'm Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of Lifter LMS, which is a WordPress uh, ecosystem for making online courses and membership sites. And it's a great plugin. And you do a great podcast as well, don't you? I do. That's called LMS Cast. It's for people building courses and membership sites on the internet. That's great. All right. So we might have some other people joining us during the show, late attendees. But, um, hopefully they're most welcome. Um, let's go on. On to the first story. From humble beginnings to internet dominance, the rise of WordPress. It's like, it's like a title from Star Wars, isn't it? <laughs> uh, um, anybody like to start off with commenting on that little piece? I've noticed Pageley does lots of stuff with diagrams in it lately. Yeah, they do like the diagrams, don't they? Yes, which are, are generally uh, helpful. Um, although... Uh, Yes, I'm not. I'm not sure this actually constitutes news. I mean, they they published it sort of closer to the time that we hit the thirty uh, percent. I guarantee mark. that it will not be new. I guarantee that it will be stuff that's interesting for me, Sally. <laughs> yes. Well, it is. You know, I mean, it is kind of impressive if we if we think back to wherever we were when we first encountered WordPress or wherever WordPress was. That you know, the the degree to which it's changed and evolved is 
very impressive. And I remember being at uh, WordCamp SF when uh, in 2010 when 3.0 was coming out and they announced the drag and drop menus and people in the room mm. applauded <laughs> because, mm -hmm. you know, the menu system was clunky. Now, you know, it's been long enough since then that you find situations in which the current menu system is clunky because if you have a large menu, it's awkward to drag things around. Of course, if you have that larger menu, maybe you should rethink your navigation structure. But... That's an, that's another thing. So uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we're uh, we're still grow, gr gr going strong and and uh, growing. And uh, my meetup is planning uh, to have a uh, WordPress birthday party. WordPress is about to turn fifteen, um, uh, but uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, we'll we'll sort of see where we uh, where we go from here. It, it has been uh, quite a ride to be along on. Hmm. Yeah, anybody else want to dive in? Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I got into WordPress, I don't know, 2.7 something, and I did not like it. I was like, this is too clunky. I can custom code anything I want myself. And then I checked it out again after 3.0, and that was where I was like, okay, now it has enough stuff for me to, like, it saves me time. You know what I mean? Like, a drag-and-drop menu is really nice as opposed to me custom coding the UL, LI, A, href. Like, you know, I, I was done with that at that point. But I think 3.0 is like a big point for me of like, there's just enough, there's just enough built in and it's just extendable enough for me to make it do anything I want. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I, I think that and obviously the plugin um, directory and the theme directory and, the, and how you could, you had access to all these plugins and themes and that. I think, um, I think, the thing you just said, Patrick, and the two things I've said that have been the initial powerful drivers for its success. What do you think, Chris? It's been uh, quite the journey. I started with WordPress in 2008, and I still think it's actually early days for it. Um, both my daughters have their own businesses. One of them has 10 chickens that makes, you know, that it's an egg business. Oh, she's probably yeah. making more money than me, actually, <laughs> There's another one who has a flower business with a bunch of bulbs in the ground. And uh, we just, they wanted to build websites. So we went to WordPress.com and built some free websites uh, for their businesses. Oh, you didn't go, to, just, Squares, you didn't go to Squarespace then? Uh, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> no. But it just made me, if we think long term, I, I think this is still early days. You know, I mean, WordPress needs to do things right and manage transition and Gutenberg well and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I think... Uh, you know, with there's a lot of the world that's not even on the internet yet, and there's people growing up into the ages where they're starting to make websites. It's I think this is still early days. Yes, yes. Uh, Moulton, um, our great panelist Moulton is a little bit ill today, but he says hello to you, Patrick. So there we go. <laughs> uh, um, he won't be joining us unfortunately, but he said he you'll be watching. So hope you get better quick, Moulton. Um, so, anybody else? What about John? Come on, John. What, what are you going to say about this? <clears throat> I came to the party late, man. I didn't start with WordPress until 3.0, uh, around 2011 or so. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's served me well. It's the best thing going. Uh, so, we'll see where it goes. Hopefully, yeah, keep growing, I guess. Yeah, yeah let it keep going. Uh, all right. Let's go on to the other story. Let's go on to the other one. Let's go to number two. Facebook says it will not extend the GDPR privacy protection beyond the... That's a big surprise, isn't it? I'm stunned and shocked. At that. Shocked, I tell you. Go on, uh, go on Sally. 
Well, it's, you know, I'm kind of tired of hearing about Facebook at this point, but, uh, you know, given their approach, given the approach they've demonstrated toward privacy all this Mm -hmm. time, it's not particularly surprising that they would, uh, you know, only comply with with this requirement to the, you know, tiniest degree possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't think that's uh, that's exactly, uh, uh, you know, really constitutes news. but uh, oh, I'm, you know. so, I'm sorry, Sally. I'm fighting. <laughs> well, no, it's just you know. I mean, it appeared in the news, right? And it is a thing that um, people should <laughs> certainly be aware of. But it's it's kind of like you know, Facebook, <clears throat> you know, breaches your privacy, right? This is news. This this is what Facebook does. It's what they're in the business of doing. No, well, I think um, to come back to you a little bit is um, the reason why I think it's a little bit interesting is that I think. At board level, I think the decision has really been made um, that they're not going to move on this. Mm. Only when they're totally forced mm. to move. It, it, it seems that the decision has been made. The Utican, what, what's the name of that Roman river, has been has been crossed. And unless... Uh, Rubicon. Rubicon, yes, that's it. Uh, um, you know, that unless they're really forced to budge on this, that fundamentally apart from some PR statements that they're not going to budge on this and um, what also is interesting is uh, I don't want to delve I'm going to mention this but I don't want to delve in it because it is um, obviously Google (coughs) in Google's (coughs) central office they were just thankful that you know this was just happening to one of their main competitors and they weren't in (laughs) Um, the limelight, and then you had what happened at the YouTube offices, which mm. is, you know, terrible for the people that got injured. But what what it kind of shows to me is that the kind of naive years of social media, mm. maybe the web, are really past, and it really does affect people's lives, and it affects countries' um, um, destinies to some degree, probably overplayed. What do you think, Chris? Am I just rabbiting on? No, I think uh, for those of you watching, sometimes it's helpful to get some context on GDPR. And what it fundamentally is, is it's the right to disappear. And, you know, if people want to leave Facebook and take all their data with them, or they want to leave your WordPress website and take all their data with them, I think it, you know, the, the, um, the philosophical social argument behind that is important from a privacy Mm. standpoint. Um, I know WordPress itself is taking, um, you know, movement in that direction to honor GDPR. But, um, you know, I believe in data-driven marketing and I I like the ability to target with Facebook, but I also believe in the individual's right to disappear. Yeah. What do you think about that, Patrick? I think, thanks, uh, Chris. That's a fantastic point. Yeah. So, I think it is news. I think Facebook has made so many missteps in a row. I mean, they're going to Capitol Hill next week to talk to Congress. Like, and they're like, Mark, you need to come. Not one of your lackeys. Like, yeah, you yeah. need to show up. And I think he has like four meetings of four different sessions. So four different hearings. Do you think he's going to talk to me in Chinese? <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea. Um, I, I just think that there, this seems... Here's the thing. They're, they're taking all the time and energy to build the interface so people can delete all their data. All they have to do is like enable that feature for people in the U.S. Like, why wouldn't you just give us a teensy bit more 
privacy control, like when you're literally already building it for people in England, that same language, same layouts, everything, right? Like all you need to do is turn it on for us. And when they say no, I, I think at some point if a company or industry doesn't regulate itself, regulate itself, then Congress will do it. So if they keep making mistakes, at some point they will be regulated. Yeah, I heard an interesting uh, bit from NPR where the interviewer was saying that, you know, if you listen to Mark Zuckerberg talk, he seems to, you know, think of himself as a world leader and, and uh, <laughs> that, well, you know, if, if, if he really is in such a, a position, then, you know, probably what he should be doing is, is spending, you know, the entire next six months or year mm. going around and talking, you know, to the governments of all these countries mm. whose people are affected by, by what he's doing and, and deciding, you know, figuring out what to uh, what to do about it. You know, it, it is useful to have uh, data for marketing and, and, and this and that. And yet, clearly, there have been a lot of, of uses of that information, which are really uh, creepy. And the behavior of Facebook uh, around this has always been simply appalling. And this is a large part of why I don't use Facebook. Yes, um, I just don't, I just, I agree with Patrick. I just don't think, you know, basically he's going to be well lawyered up when he, when he hits um, Washington. Um, I, I just think they've made the, the decision that they're just going to try and weather this out and they ain't going to budge. They're, only if they're really pushed by the EU and they're facing a mega fine. What do you reckon, John? Well, one thing to understand is in the U.S., uh, the, the tech economy is a large part of our growth right now. And up to now, it hasn't really been regulated in any way, shape, or form. Um, but, you know, a lot of this, you know, ask the, the GDPR, the right to disappear and, you know, delete your account and and take all your data with you. That's not a big ask. And to speak to that point, you know, why would you build this out for Europe and not uh, give U.S. citizens the ability to do that? It's for the same reason that Twitter is able to ban certain accounts in France and Germany, but yet will not enable that in the U.S. It's because they sell the data to, you know, millions of advertisers uh, and that, that's basically their their business model, and they don't want to hamper that. They want to get as much data as possible. And I think people who kind of like, uh, you know, brush that off, I don't think that they realize like how much data these social networks like Google and Facebook and Twitter actually collect on you. Um, so something to think about. You know, I, I think in time, like these things will be regulated like other utilities. Uh, in other uh, forms of, of uh, products out there in the market. But, you know, I, I, I don't see it coming uh, from the U.S. I, I do think that Europe is going to lead the charge in that. I'll just add one last thing. I, I see a lot of people online uh, saying things like, how can I block all my uh, customers from Europe and I'm not going to sell to anybody in Europe because of this? And, and these are, you know, people within the web community who sell products or plugins or themes or whatever. And it's, it's just kind of ridiculous. It's, it's, you know, don't resell people's data 
if they delete their their account, you know, store their data is if you would your own. You know, it's it's not a big thing to ask, in my opinion. So yeah, that's a good point. Uh, if you um, wanted at that at all, Patrick, this kind of. So I will say, I think with data, I think I completely agree with you. It's so easy to like comply with GDPR is not that challenging. However, um, so in the e-commerce space, there's VATMOS, which came out two years ago. And that's where you have to pay European taxes on digital products to the EU, even if you're not from the EU. And that's confusing, right? Like how am I supposed to know what EU laws are on the books and what the different tax rates in the EU are when I'm a seller in Colorado? Um, my, I, I think that is a little bit cumbersome and I wish they, I guess I wish for certain regulations, they only applied to big businesses, but with this data thing, it seems like a pretty small thing and you pretty much just update your plugins. You know, WooCommerce is already updated. You just have to update the latest version and you're GDR, GDPR compliant. No, it, it does seem a trend all this. And then, and then you had the thing with, um, Amazon and uh, President Trump, you know, his <laughs> remarks about the Washington Post and um, you had all that as well. So the, the kind of the whole atmosphere around this seems to be getting more and more serious, doesn't it? You know, in, in a way, I agree with John. Um, it's been surprising how long this situation has continued considering the wealth and capitalization of some of these internet firms now and like what John said, they make a, a major part, but that's probably why in a way as well that they've been able to get away with it um, to some degree. On to the next story. Um, I'm going to go with one that um, our panelist Sally provided and that's um, GoDaddy. The truth about GoDaddy, WordPress hosting, it's not what you think. And that's from a site, WP Macdown. All right. Would you like to tell us about this story, Sally? It, it, sure. I mean, it, it came across my feeds somewhere. and um, It came I, across my feed somehow. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, I get all these newsletters and emails and, and uh, 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 this is and an, an that's that collect news since, you know, have to keep an eye out for stuff for this I think it's the guilt, uh, guilt when you, you, you uh, were so um, nasty to our other panelists. I think he's still pulling the arrows out of his back as we uh, speak. Well, you know, unfortunately, and, and, you know, I think GoDaddy as a company has done some great things, but my experience is with their hosting have been frankly painful. Uh, and, uh, hey, you know, the thing about, you know, reviews of hosting or anything else is almost all of them are motivated by affiliate fees. So you can't really trust them particularly. Uh, but this person was, was going on about how basically, you know, the new Do GoDaddy Pro uh, managed WordPress hosting was was actually pretty good, uh, and hey, you know they were quite impressed with it. I have not tried uh, the at uh, Pro hosting. Um, hey, you know my feeling is it could hardly be worse uh, than, than what we ended up with. Uh, it, so it it probably is better. And you know when the when the original GoDaddy WordPress hosting came out, it was a significant improvement over their shared hosting if, if you were running a WordPress site. Uh, and it is difficult uh, to uh, do a reasonable job of, of providing hosting. Um, and, you know, just more, you know, more so as, as things expand and <clears throat> servers get crowded and, uh, you know, WordPress is not necessarily the most efficient of uh, <clears throat> platforms for uh, 
that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether uh, I would have the same opinion uh, as this person, but I figured it was worth pointing out that someone was uh, enthusiastic about this uh, and that Mendel would perhaps want to hear that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not personally expecting to run over and try it out. Right, yeah. Um, I just think, it, you know, like in general, I, d- I don't want to delve in the what is the best WordPress hosting. I think that would be a rather boring conversation. And um, there's other podcasts and other um, posts you can go and read about that. Um, we have covered it. But I think it what might be interesting way to take this um, story is um, how do you, re- you know, how does a business recover where it's gone down a certain road road, and they've got a certain bad reputation and they need to turn it around. How how do you effectively turn that around? I'm going to throw that to Chris. How do you recover from a bad reputation, Chris? Slowly. <laughs> and uh, Painfully. Yeah, and then also if there's like personal brands involved, um, making it clear that like that person is not the business is helpful. Like a company is more of a culture than the acts of one person, especially a company that big. So things like they've done with sponsoring events and bringing on, uh, you know, uh, people from the WordPress community through acquisitions and, uh, just being involved in the event space is helpful, but yeah, you have to earn trust again and you may never get back to 100% but you can come a long way back by slowly building trust. I don't think there's a fast lane though. Uh, what do you reckon, Patrick? What can GoDaddy do to make up, you know, build trust in their relationship with the WordPress community? Well, I, I just think hosting in particular is challenging because uh, hosting is like a long-term, co- like it's a long-term contract, right? Like you, you usually don't pick a host and then switch away after a month. Like you usually pick it and stay with it for years or for however long you have a client. So I think it's like, so like once they burn a bridge and I've had a lot of clients on like the lowest plan, like 10 years ago, and then you go, Ooh, I really don't want to repeat that experience on like the lowest plan. I don't, I would rather recommend any other host than try their new plan. Like that's, that's really hard for me to like have enough trust to try a new plan when I've been burned on the smaller one. So what, let me just explain one of the ways I got into WP Engine a long time ago. When they were just getting started, they offered free accounts when you met them at a WordCamp and you think you'd like enter your email in a giveaway or something, but you got a free account. That meant I could try it. I could test it. I put like test sites up on it. And then I like, oh my God, this is great. I'm going to start using it. I would love if, I mean, if, well, one of the things I would do if I was GoDaddy is I would try something like that where, hey, maybe you're burned in the past. Try our new platform. If you uh, meet us at a WordCamp, sign up and we'll give you a free account for a year or two years or whatever. All right. I'm so tempted to come out with a sarcastic remark. Oh, yeah. No, no, SiteGround did that when they were first starting and that was how I I tried them out. But yes. My my Bulgarian friends. Yes, but in in some ways, uh, I I think GoDaddy might even have to take the the opposite uh, uh, approach because – you know, people are accustomed to cheap. And, you know, a lot of people don't want to pay any money. Uh, they, they want to get a service and they want to really, you know, like not actually pay anything for it. And there are costs, uh, you know, involved in providing good hosting and there's only so cheaply it can be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Uh, and so you well, kind of have to... I just want to butt in there. You just said something so crucial there, Sally. You know, I'd, um, I was interviewing um, a CEO of another company for another podcast I do, and he turned around and he said to me, he said, I had a friend, a mentor that told me something really important. He said, making a profit isn't a crime. And I sometimes think in WordPress, people got this mentality that they, they, they've... They want great service and um, they want continue that service to continue. But it can only do that if the companies behind them are making a profit. Yeah. Uh, um, and it, sometimes it comes across as a bit of a dirty word in the WordPress yeah. community. Um, there are a lot of people in the WordPress community who are on Team Free Shit. Although there are a lot of people everywhere, but I think it, I, I think it probably is worse in, in WordPress and possibly in other uh, open source areas, the expectation that things will be free or or very cheap, and and it, the you know the world does not work that way. It it costs money, you know. It costs money for the electricity and for the servers and for the you know all of uh, those kinds of of things, and uh, you don't want you know you you do want any company providing for you to make a profit because otherwise they'll go out of business and then you'll be screwed. <clears throat> but. Uh, you know, I think GoDaddy has done terrific work in terms of improving their overall mm-hmm. reputation as a place to work, you know, as a, a people involved in the community. Um, and, uh, you know, I think they've, I, I think people do regard them much better uh, in respect of, of, of those things. But yeah, the, the actual quality of the hosting is, is an issue and the, you know, the slowness of, um, yeah, I think, I think, the, I think the adoption yeah. of of things like free SSL and and so on uh, has you know has has still been an issue. It's like, well, I really you know I like these people. I've met a lot of really good people who work for this company, and I'm not sure I you know go anywhere near their hosting. And I, I feel that way about DreamHost too. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I think I take what Chris, you, what you've said, and uh, what Patrick have said. I just think Go Daddy. You know, I love um, Mendel, and hopefully he will continue coming on the shows. He's a great guy. I just think in general, I think Go Daddy's got to ramp their game up a little bit because I think if they want a continued prosperous future in the WordPress community, they just got to push the envelope a little bit more. So before we go for our break, folks, I want to talk about my own sponsor. And that, funny enough, is Kidster Hosting. <laughs> uh, Kidster Hosting, um, a great company. They host the WP Tonic website. Um, I've been delighted with their, um, with the speed. With They've got all the bells and whistles, staging site, um, great um, analytical data, you name it. They, if you're a developer, you can have a feast with their hosting packages. And um, they're big enough to have all the technology um, that you're looking for, but they're not too big that they don't care. Um, the other factor I've been amazed is the quality of their support. Um, and it's just been amazing. And I'm not, not saying that they sponsor it. I actually believe it totally. And um, I certainly wouldn't have them um, hosting my own site if I didn't believe in it. And... Go to the WP Tonic website. There's banners and links in the show notes and all over the website. You click them, they are affiliate links. And um, if you purchase one of their packages, you'll be supporting the show. And or get one of your clients. You use it for one of your clients. I, I think you should give them a go because 
like I say, I think it's great value and they're amazing. So that's all I've got to say about my sponsor. So we're going to go for a break, break, folks, and we'll be back in a few moments. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. We've had a bit of a chat. Patrick's still with us. He hasn't bailed out yet. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming, Patrick. Uh, um, uh, let's check. Nobody. Oh, Adam hasn't joined us even late. You probably couldn't even get in. I, I kind of muffed the links up, folks, but it's all down to me. As you. I can I can stand it. Right, on to the next story. Uh, 14 common technical SEO mistakes and how to fix them. Um, I, I gave this a quick read. I'm going to delve into it a bit more. And I quite like, liked it. I got it from um, John um, Twitter feed. Um, and I thought it was a pretty good article, actually. It had some good tips and that, and it was well. Um, I'd like to tell us some more about this, John. Yeah, so... <clears throat> This comes from a agency in the Philadelphia area called I'm from the Future. And for those of you that have never perhaps heard of this, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm from the past. <laughs> yeah, I'm from the Future. Basically, uh, Nick Eubanks was the guy who started that. They recently merged with two other agencies. Uh, one was Webris, uh, led by Ryan Stewart, who uh, started a SEO empire in Miami. And uh, the social media agency, uh, We Speak Social in Philadelphia. So basically, they're, they're like a little super agency going right now. Uh, but this one put together was a checklist of um, 14 technical SEO uh, mistakes and kind of just uh, shows like what their process is for doing technical SEO audits. And they go through a bunch of things like 404s, and uh, migration, 301s, website speed, internal linking, uh, UX, uh, XML sitemaps, all kinds of different things here. But basically, it breaks down in really simple uh, list formats what, what these things are, uh, how to look for them, what tools you're going to need to use. Uh, up at the top of this article, there's a link to to a technical SEO case study that they did uh, for a site that they grew 300% in 18 months. And it, and it goes into great detail about the things that they, do, they did. They didn't buy any advertising. Uh, it's all user-generated content, and they did strictly like technical SEO to, to do this pickup. So that's something to really check out and, and just get an idea of, of how big of an influence cleaning up all those things can make. Yes, cleaning is important. Uh, what did you think of this one, Chris? I thought it was a really great article because it didn't just have good information. I thought the structure was yeah. amazing. So it talked about the problem. It said how to find these errors and then how to fix these errors for 14 points. So when I'm teaching people about 
course creation, people ask like, how do I get leads? And my number one piece of advice is to publish a blog post that gives people results in advance of anything. And this is such a great example. I would love to see a, an upsell, you know, to a, uh, you know, an email mini course, or I know these guys are an agency, so they have a different funnel, but I think this is just a, a great example of an article that doesn't just talk about ideas, but gets the reader mm-hmm. taking action. So if you want to improve your SEO, uh, go check out this article and just go, just take it one step at a time and follow the steps. Yeah, it was, uh, I thought the structure was really good. Um, a lot of these SEO articles, that kind of you get lost a little bit. Um, it, it gave a lot of value, but gave it quite clearly. What do you reckon, Patrick? Got any views about this? Well, first, I just want to, Chris, I think you're right. And I think I'm so used to like websites where like, if it is a good article, there's like an annoying pop-up halfway through and like, there, you know, there's a window and you're like, oh, I just want to read the article. And they didn't. Like, it's just, it's just useful. That's like, that's great. It's yeah, like a, unfortunately, if it's a bad article, there's also that annoying. Yeah. Problem. Yeah. Um, I really like the first, the first point was my favorite just cause I, I, I see this all the time in the e-commerce space is like, which when people delete a page and they don't have any sort of 404 thing, but with e-commerce, it's like when something is out of stock, some people don't know that they'll just like delete the page or they'll turn it to a draft and then turn it back to live and just always keep your pages there and always have like back orders or have a wait list or have, there's, there's other solutions you can do other than deleting your page. It's like a very simple thing to fix once you know it's a problem yeah thanks for pointing that out because that yeah um, but i can see a lot of people why they do that don't you totally yeah um, but it's not good news is it Mm-hmm. But once you know it's a problem just get a little waitlist plugin or a wishlist plugin or whatever and you can work around it and um as john's pointed this out don't get hanged up folks uh, when you do um redirects and that and you get re- and if old pages just keep reappearing because trying to make Google unindex something that's been around for a while is a bit of a task and it, they keep... That's kind of like making Facebook get rid of your data. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, it's like old friends that you know you don't know want to associate with. Uh, um, uh, um, they, they just come back, don't they, John? Yeah, to speak to that point, that's, that's something that, that I've seen happen on my own sites and and you had that question a while back there's old google basically when they crawl a url they basically keep it in their memory for like a long time so it might even be you know seven or eight years old they're going to try and recrawl that url so you know with the 404s just make sure that you have 301 redirects because they might be looking at a version of your site from last decade uh, and the other thing I'll, I'll say to that too, if you're doing like a bunch of redirects, make sure that your redirect chains don't go too deep because Google stops um, after like five redirects, mm-hmm. say if the URL changed a bunch of times, just do like one, like the, the old one to the new one. Don't make it go down like a chain because uh, that, that's bad. Too. The other thing I would say, folks, is try and keep a balance about it. Um, don't get don't get obsessive about it. Um, on the other hand, don't just blank it off. You do need to go into your Google Console, web used to be called Webmaster Tools, and you do. Um, I'm going to ask John to send me a link. I don't know if you know there's any resources out there that explains Webmaster um, 
the um, console well, um, and I can pop it into the show notes, John, um, because that's a little bit confusing in its own, but a lot of people look at it and give up on it, um, but you need to keep learning how to use that effectively, don't you, John? And you're muted, John. Yeah, Search Console, and it recently, like, uh, it's gone to, like, a new version. Yeah. Uh, but if you're still in the old version, there's so much, like, useful information in Search Console, uh, just as much as Google Analytics, if not more, so. Right, definitely. I think we delved that one. Um, on to the next one, and I'm going to put in a, another story that um, Sally suggested and um, do podcasters really need to beg for ratings and reviews? Uh, um, would like to introduce that one, Sally. Uh, right. So I, I also get some newsletters about podcasting as it's a thing I've been interested in since I discovered it in 2005. And uh, I saw this article and, and, you know, it caught my attention partly because very nearly every podcast that I listen to, the host, asks people to, you know, go and leave a review on iTunes or please, please leave some review. Right. And so that what they, the, they wanted to do was investigate whether this actually made a, a difference and what could they find out about, you know, how does this affect your, you know, rankings, your, your visibility in these various directories and uh, that it, it seems that if, in some cases it does, and in some cases it doesn't, and in some cases you can't actually find out, uh, which, you know, not a surprise, uh, 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 that some of these people don't want to uh, uh, get it. And, you know, it's quite a pr- provocative uh, article. You know, are these CTAs just an ineffective podcast trope? I asked a few podcast app makers what they think and here's what I learned and so it it goes through a, a number of things like so um, <clears throat> you know in Apple podcast top performing shows tend to have huge rating counts uh, but cor- correlation does not necessarily uh, equal causation uh, it, it, and, you know, his conclusion is that these series perform well because they're high-quality shows that add value to their listeners' lives, not because they managed to get uh, tons of ratings. We have, well, that's what he finished, didn't it? Uh, yes. We have, we have not seen conclusive evidence that ratings or reviews directly contribute to chart performance, visibility, or editorial support from Apple Podcasts. Well, it's hard, damn hard to get evidence from Apple about why they do anything. Uh, but uh, I don't even think they know. Uh, yes, well, I'm I'm just now at, at attempting to um, get into the uh, the podcast connect for a, a podcast I've been involved with for a long time because I was not the person who first put this in iTunes and therefore getting you know ac- actually being able to uh, to to list it and get any information is uh, uh, a, a bit convoluted um, and uh, you know basically what he, he comes back to is that whether or not they affect, you know, people's ability to discover you, uh, you know, ratings and reviews are still uh, social proof. uh, And there is a value to social proof uh, that goes beyond, uh, you know, simply whether an algorithm is affected. And so perhaps continuing to beg for those reviews is in fact a a good idea. Um, 
you know, I have to find, uh, say that I find certain implementations of social proof very annoying, like those, you know, plug-in websites where every 10 seconds it pops something up saying, such and such just bought this, such and like, will you shut up and stop distracting me from actually learning about your product so that I can make a decision about whether to buy it? There um, we go, there we go. But I, I just want reviews because I'm lonely. I live in this little room. Uh, and getting some star ratings but i've given up on itunes i have no idea how they rate podcasts um if you look if you put in wordpress some of the people they put on the top now um seem to have very little to do with wordpress um so i've given up on it what do you reckon chris um um, you know, I come from a marketing background and you know, I would never with, guess, Chris. with a piece of content, I think it is important to take advantage of an opportunity to have a call to action. I think podcasts sometimes way overdo it. They ask for reviews and like they ask for like five things at once. Um, on, on my website, for example, lifterlms.com, there's a bunch of testimonials. I sent an email to my email list of customers and I was like, hey, would you guys mind filling out this form, submitted a testimonial? So I had to ask for it. I mean, I do get stuff that comes naturally too. So I don't think there's anything wrong with asking for it. <clears throat> but um, at the end of a podcast episode, uh, I'm a big fan of not confusing or overdoing it with the call to action. Like pick one, mm-hmm. maybe once every like seven, ask for a review. But otherwise, maybe have a call to action actually sending people away from you to the guest's website that you just interviewed. Maybe sometimes send them to your website if you have something that's relevant that, you know, is in alignment with the actual episode that was just presented. So one call to action and not every, if you ask for it every time, you're just begging. Yeah, big, big. So, I'll go on, Patrick. Yeah, so I, I'm curious. So I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I actually usually delete. I don't think I listen to a podcast for more than a year. Very few. Yeah, you, of don't mine. Listen, you don't listen to mine, Plus, Patrick. I, I have to. Try, I am. I have to try a lot of podcasts yeah, so I can sure. find my favorites. Um, yeah. But I, I never use the podcast search because I hate. I just never get any useful results when I search in a podcast app or even through some. I always look for a blog post that says these are the top 10 podcasts about blank. So in terms of testimonials on the podcast on, on iTunes or whatever, I never see those. So I, I don't think they're that useful to me. I will watch, I would much rather listen to someone's top 10 blog or podcasts about topic. Um, so I think that's important. And then if someone asks for the same thing every time, I'm going to start skipping that section of the podcast. I have, I have a, these aren't my, my normal uh, headphones are like Bluetooth. And there's just a little button here that skips forward 15 seconds. I, I hit that very quickly when I know there's a certain, if they ask for the same thing every time, maybe if someone was like clever, they'd be like, Hey, whatever you do, do not leave me a rating. It is like the worst thing you could do for my show. A five-star rating would be the worst. Like maybe if people were silly or funny or different about it, then I'd listen to it, but I just skip it if it's the same. Yeah, I have to do that. Yeah, so folks, if you want to leave a crap review, just get on with it. <laughs> you shitheads, just get on with it. All right, all right. <laughs> Go on, I challenge you, just give us a bad one. Especially if you're from those other podcasts. I know you give me bad reviews, just get on with it. I'm the Alex Jones of WordPress. There. All right. <laughs> 
You are you're much too sane and normal to be Alex yes. Jones. Oh, yeah. he's, he's, uh, he's been taking some of his own supplements. I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> you're not like red enough. Like he gets he gets pretty. Like you Please can see his me. rage. Please don't sue me. I'm glad anybody anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm a WordPress person. I'm broke anyway. Uh, um, so there we go. Uh, um, I'm gonna jump from um, story four to story five. Because uh, um, because um, he's coming on the show actually, folks. Rand, um, he's going to be a guest of mine in April. Um, which we are in April, but um, in the next couple of weeks, um, if he hasn't bailed out. <laughs> uh, um, so lead generation leaders Rand Fishing, um, user. Well, I can't talk. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, um, Sally, did you read this one? And what do you want to comment? Bail me out, Sally. Uh, I I looked over it pretty uh, quickly, and um, you know, user acquisition is not a thing that I especially uh, uh, excel at. Although right at the moment, I I seem to have you know everybody wanting work at once, which is you That's know. Great. There are worse problems to have, uh, but I, I'm actually, you know, terrible at stuff like lead capture and and so on. It's one of those the cobbler's children have no shoes <laughs> kinds of, of situations. You know, I, I advise and encourage and help uh, clients to uh, implement ways to uh, to do this kind of of thing, and uh, don't do it so well myself. But I think you know one of the things right at the uh, at the top here really speaks well to what Patrick said about uh, and Chris said about you know muddling up your calls to action um, that if uh, you know trying to to be um, associated with too many things makes it even tougher for for people to you know remember you and and what you're doing and the uh, you know modern tribe the events calendar people have launched a hosted calendar service and they're calling it loxy which means nothing approximately uh, and and I mentioned this to to them I I worked for I did some contract work for a naming company for a while and uh, it's tough naming products because you have to come up with something that's, you know, kind of evocative and, and interesting and appropriate to the brand type. And the domain hasn't been registered and the trademark hasn't been taken in your, in your class. And, and that's really tough. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, we attempted to, to come up with, with calendar-related names and there was just nothing. And so we decided to go with something that was, you know, sort of, you know, <clears throat> Uh, short and th- that you know you could make uh, and and then basically you have the uphill battle of trying to you know make it mean something to people uh, which you know some companies have have managed to do but uh, it, it is work so yes you know it's hard for people to associate a brand or company with multiple products that do multiple things um, <clears throat> You know, and I, I didn't learn that lesson in, until it was too late. Uh, and I think probably a lot of us have, have been through this. I've had multiple business personality disorder in, in my time. Uh, and uh, especially if you're just one person, you're really deluding yourself uh, that way. So, I, you know, I think there, there are a lot of good points in, in this. Like, you know, how do you prove your ROI when it comes to, the less tangible aspects of marketing and, and user uh, 
acquisition. And, and it's interesting that um, <clears throat> he says, you know, my answer is to worry less about proving ROI and more about being willing to give creative opportunities with imperfect measurement a, a try. I have a client right now who does um, internal communications measurement. And it's been quite useful for me to, you know, read some of her material as, as I work on overhauling her. Uh, this was built in 2010 and looks like it's even older website um, because this is a problem with things like communication where it's not even, you know, sales communication where you can prove something based on like the number of sales that you make as a result of, of sending this uh, this email and that are like, okay, well, here are some, here are some things you can do to get an indication of, of the success of this communication when you don't have actual cash in hand. Um, so, you know, that, that is uh, important. Um, and uh, it is an issue for a lot of people who do content uh, marketing kinds of stuff that doesn't necessarily immediately turn into a, a sale. Uh, and that you know there are a lot of things you have to do in your in your business that don't necessarily immediately make money, or you may be in a business where making no, money. I think, I think you're making some great points there because there is this kind of understandable reason that you do something and it's got to it's got to get results straight away. Right. And um, Rand, he's just kind of hero of mine, really, because um, I I think a bit linked to our um, last. Um, roundtable when um, Walton was talking about his article of ethics. I think Rand has got some ethics and yeah. he's one of these people that really seems to think about before he opens his mouth, unlike me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, what do you reckon, Chris? What did you reckon about the piece? I, I like the piece about, you know, getting clear on the brand. You know, there's basically a corporate brand and a product brand. Like Nike is a corporate brand. Uh, WordPress is a corporate brand. Um, but for example, even WooCommerce I see as a corporate brand. Uh, if you're really in the WordPress community, you might know who Prospress is, but what you're really, you're really just tagging on to the WooCommerce corporate brand in the same way that anybody in the product or, or service WordPress ecosystem benefits from the WordPress brand. But for example, I started out with an agency called Codebox, which is actually the company that makes Lifter LMS. But I never talk about Codebox. I talk about Lifter LMS because I knew from the beginning that it needed to be a product brand. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important. And then naming it is, is so key. There's a great book <clears throat> called Hello, My Name is Awesome. And I highly recommend that. And I, that article that we just uh, read about SEO, that the name of that company, Hello, I'm from the Future or whatever, that's a cool brand name. It, uh, it's something that you want to see on a t-shirt. Hmm. Like, you know, Beaver Builder is a great brand name. Um, so yeah, I just think <clears throat> when you, if you're going to be a serial entrepreneur and you're going to have multiple pro product services or projects, it's really important to think these through or you might end up, um, you know, with not taking advantage of a corporate brand or missing the mark by not creating a, a product brand. I think they're great points. I, I'm going to wrap the show up now, but um, before I ask my um, great panel how people can find out more about them, um, like I say, it's my, it's my birthday today, so I'm going to dedicate this show to my father. 
Um, and I want to quickly, I'm going to bore, I don't think I'm going to bore the listeners, tell them a little bit about my dad, um, Captain Douglas Denwood, um, of the Grenadier Guards, um, fought at Dunkirk, um, and at the Battle of Britain. He was defending Hornchurch Aerodrome at the time, um, being attacked like 24 hours a day by the German Air Force. Um, he said he had never seen such brave young men from Czechoslovakia, from Poland, from South Africa, um, flying against enormous numbers of enemy planes. Most of them knew that they were going to die pretty soon, but they kept on flying. Um, he just was aghast at their bravery. Um, he gave up his place at Dunkirk to a injured French soldier who was seriously injured without the knowledge that he was going to get another place back home. Um, for that act of humanity, he was awarded um, the second highest French medal for bravery. Um, he then fought at our Alamein, our glorious victory against Nazism and Germany. Um, it really gave um, the determination to keep on fighting. It was our first great victory and we had no losses since during the war after that great victory. He fought there. Then he was at D-Day with our American and Commonwealth allies from Canada, Australia, the Free French, and other forces that believed in freedom and liberty. He fought in the Normandy campaign, and his tank was destroyed by a German Tiger tank, and he was seriously injured but he took the choice to go back into a burning tank and rescue his driver. For that act of bravery, he won the military cross. Um, he never really discussed the war, really. He said he just wanted to have a normal life. And he was thankful that he survived uh, a rather boring or terrifying period of his life. Um, I just want to say I miss you, my father. So that's my bit. So I'm going to let Patrick, would you like to tell the audience how people can get hold of you? Yeah, I don't know how I can follow that. Um, uh, I've played war video games. That's the closest I've ever come. I've had such a privileged life of like war is like a fun thing for me, which is a horrible thing to say and probably came out really wrong. No. Um, cool. So let, let me try to backtrack from that. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at BF trick. Uh, speaking of personal brands, I'm the only Patrick Rollins in the world. So if you Google that, you'll find me everywhere. Uh, and then you can, uh, I blog at speaking in That's computer bytes, B Y T E S. So that's where you can find me. And thanks for sharing that story. Yeah, um, I share it because we tend to think of historic events or just historic events, but what they are, they're historic events filled with the lives of normal people, mm. really, aren't they? John, how can people get hold of you? 
You can find me at my website, which is Lockdown Design. Uh, and I would encourage people to go check out my YouTube channel and get more involved with that again. It's been on hiatus for a while, but I'm, I'm hitting it hard. So go uh, find that YouTube channel. It's John J. Locke. Oh, so, I'll go to myself. Have a look at what you're up yeah, to. All right. Um, Sally, how can people get hold of you? You can find me at WPFangirl.com. I am at Sally Getch on Twitter. And like Patrick, I am unique in Google. So if you can manage to spell my name, which is kind of a challenge, uh, you will find me that that is going to be the one and only me. And Chris, how can people find out about you? You can find me at lifterlms.com. Check that out if you're looking to teach online from a WordPress-powered site. And also, if you're into that type of thing, check out my podcast called LMS Cast. And go ahead and leave a review for <laughs> WP Tonic Show. Yeah, don't leave me a bloody review. If you can leave me a review, leave me a rotten one. I just want the truth from you. You parasites are listening to this. No, you're, you're loved, audience. You're loved. Um, the ratings. I think we're getting more and more people listen to this. Must be doing something right. I wonder what it is. But um, thanks, folks, for listening to this. Hopefully, you enjoyed the discussion. I did. I thought we covered a load of stuff. And we'll be back next week um, live. You'll be able to watch us live on our Facebook page. Um, go. You want to do a search? That's WP Tonic Show. And you'll be able to watch the show at 8.30 Pacific Standard Time where hopefully we'll have another great panel. And we'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.